Well, good morning to you all. Welcome. So glad to have you with us today. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so great to have you with us today as we're worshiping the Lord together. If you're a guest with us, welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here with us. We'd love to connect with you. Best, easiest way you can do that is to grab your cell phone right at this very second and text the word CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, CONNECT. To 910-424-1298 just to let us know who you are uh, just so we can know how to minister to you in the best way possible connect with you and see if we can encourage you in the Lord in any way but we're so glad that you are here it's been um, it's been a full week uh, yesterday uh, we had yesterday morning we had our ladies breakfast here uh, ladies fellowship breakfast it was great they did it they, they just had a wonderful time my lovely wife shared a devotion and they um, spent some time just um, playing with one another and hanging out and uh, um, uh, just encouraging one another in the Lord so it was such a good time so ladies we were able to be a part of that great guys we're not leaving you out either we got a lot of great stuff for you as well. In fact, uh, we have a men's retreat coming up in October, October 22nd through the 24th. If you're interested in that, we're going to take a group of guys down to Caswell for a, uh, a quick weekend men's retreat. If you're interested in that, you can just grab me after the service and I'll let you know any details about that. Or you can talk with uh, Sid Gross or Stacy Reeves, either of those guys as well. I can give you information if you know who those are. If you don't know who those guys are, you can just come to me. But I say all that to say we have some great, great, great things happening happening here at Southview. And so I want to show you three that we have, our big three announcements, things that's going on here at Southview, what's happening here in the Lord, how you can get plugged in and connected and what's happening here. First, deacon nominations. We've been telling you about this for several weeks now. We only have a couple more weeks left to nominate deacons. So here's how you do that. You text the word deacon 
to our number, 910-424-1298. Text DEACON. We'll send you a link. Tap on that and then just give us uh, a few uh, names uh, of guys that you've been praying about and feel led to uh, suggest to serve as a deacon. you got a couple more weeks to do that. Please do that. Just text DEACON uh, to be able to suggest those names. Second, new members class. We're going to start a new members class uh, next month. We do it once a quarter, so we'll start our next one next month. If you're interested in that, you can text MEMBER to 910-424-1298 to sign up for that. And then also, we're going to be starting a 24-hour prayer ministry here at Southview. Um, the idea, the hope is that someone from our church is setting requests before the Lord 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. We are setting our request before the Lord because we believe there's power in prayer. Uh, the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, and we just think, hey, we can actually practically do that. We can, we, there's a way that we can do that as a body. And so we ask you just to spend the next few weeks seeking the Lord on that. If you'd like to be a part of that in any way, we'll be giving you more information in the weeks to come about how you can be a part of that. Uh, but just right now, set that before the Lord and ask Him if that's something that He would want for you to do. And again, in the next few weeks, we'll give you some more info as to how to get involved and get set up and trained for that. But for any other announcements that we have, you can download our app, Southview Baptist Church app. You can do that at iTunes or Google Play. Uh, with that, you're going to find all of our announcements, sign up for things, find a journey group, look at services in the past, uh, give online. There are two ways for you to give. You can either give online through the app or we have giving buckets as you leave. You can give in either way that you'd like, but thank you for your continued giving. You've been faithful in that. God is blessed in that tremendously, so thank you so much for doing that. And uh, again, you can do that through the app uh, if that's most convenient for you. But as we worship today, I want to read some scripture to us to kind of set the stage for us. Uh, Psalm 40 Verses 1 through 3. This is a psalm of David. Listen to how he talks about worship with God's people. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So listen to kind of the, the flow of, of what's happening here. David said, God, God has done a powerful work in my life. I was in a very bad place. He calls it a pit. But God picks me up out of that and put me on a solid rock foundation. God did a work in me when I could not do anything in myself, when no one else could fix it, no one else could do it. God did a work, and because of that, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to sing loud, praising God for who He is. And as I'm singing loudly, praising God for who He is, other people around me are going to hear about how good God is, and they're going to praise God too. He just described what we're about to do. He just described our hearts for corporate worship. Our heart is not that just you come in and you listen to the band and you try to kind of mumble along some songs, but our heart is that God has done such a work in your life, you come in here excited about lifting your voice and raising your hands and proclaiming how great and amazing God is so that everyone around you gets encouraged and they start singing loud too. This is who we are. This is the hope of what we do here. 
So I want to pray for us as we jump into our worship time. And I want to encourage you, as we stand and we sing here in just a moment, how has God picked you up out of the pit and put you on a solid foundation? How has God lifted you up? Praise Him for that. Or maybe even, if we're honest, you may feel like you're kind of currently in the pit. Like God hasn't picked you up out of that yet. That's okay. As you would read through the Psalms, you'll see David in that exact same spot, currently in the pit and praising God because he knows that God is going to pick him up and put him on a solid foundation. Whether you're currently in or you're already out, the praise is still the same. God is the one who does the saving, and I just fall on him. So, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you, God, that you're the one that that picks us up out of the pit and puts us on solid foundation. And I pray, God, that our response to that will be the exact same response of David here, that we would sing and we would lift our voices in praise. And we would say, thank you, God, for the miraculous work you did in my life. Or thank you, God, for the miraculous work I know you're going to do in my life. As you pick me up out of this pit... Empower me with your spirit and put a new song of praise in my heart. Thank you, Lord. I pray, God, that we would sing today new. Because we believe that you're doing new and glorious and amazing things in us. So we sing as if for the very first time. Thank you, Lord. Do this in your people as we worship you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, Southview. It's good to see y'all this morning. Why don't y'all go ahead and stand up with us. We're going to introduce a new song. It's called The House of the Lord. Quiet. We shout out your 
these truths are true, we can say with the psalmist, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will exult and be glad in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. He goes on, he says, and those who know your name put their trust in you. O Lord, you have not forsaken those who seek you. We sing and we celebrate because Christ is good, because he is worthy, because he has saved us. For those that we believe, he has made a way. He is holy and righteous, and he calls us to himself for his good purpose. And we praise and we sing because he is good. Let's sing. Eternal God, our changing, mysterious and unknown. Your boundless love unfailing, grace and mercy shown. Bright seraphim in ceaseless flight around your glorious throne. They raise their voices day and night in praise to you alone. We sing hallelujah together. Hallelujah, glory be to our great God. Hallelujah, glory be to our great God. 
going to enter into a time of prayer. What an amazing song to lead us into a prayer time, talking about how great and glorious our God is. Before we pray, um, and this is what we do every week, we, we, we try to carve out some time every week for us to, as a body, pray together. Uh, and so I uh, want to obviously do that again for us today. Before we jump in and pray, I want to I wanna kind of give us a little bit of an on-ramp into what I want us to pray for. Um, so uh, unless you're quite honestly living under a rock, you know, the last 18 months or so have been pretty crazy for us as a world, really. Humanity on earth has just been, been pretty nuts the last uh, year and a half or so. Uh, and I don't know if that's going to be changing anytime in the near future. Um, but I want to take just a second to kind of do a little quick teaching point and again let that drive us into our prayer time. I want to let you know kind of where we are as a church on some issues. Uh, big thing obviously right now involves um, COVID shots and whether or not people should be getting those. And we are getting inundated with phone calls about this. Um, people asking what should they do, people in situations where their employer is telling them this has to be done and what should we do. And so I just thought it might be good um, as our, your pastor spent some time this week talking, praying through this, just felt it might be best for us to take just a minute and kind of chat about that and let that be a point of prayer for us. Um, so Southview Baptist Church, our official stance um, on the COVID-19 shot is that we have no stance on the COVID-19 shot. Um, we believe that that is an entirely personal issue. Uh, the Bible, uh, it is biblical. Um, the Bible teaches that there are certain things that fall under what um, Bible teachers, scholars, theologians, Christians for years have been calling matters of conscience. What that means is there are certain things that uh, the Bible just doesn't give a thou shalt or thou shalt not. Um, the Spirit of God is placed inside of every believer. And every believer... Um, has the opportunity to seek the Lord as to what's going to be best for them in these certain situations. Now, there are certain things, obviously, God says, that's a must or that's a no-go. But then there are other things where God, uh, I, I don't call them gray area, because gray means like, eh, God doesn't really know. No, there are certain things where God just says, no, I'm giving you the Spirit of God, and, and He's going I'm going to guide you into what's going to be best for you in these certain situations. We, this is all over the map, right? What? translation of the Bible that you read out of, whether or not you consume alcohol, uh, we, we would consider those matter of conscience issues. We believe that this is one of those that fits into that camp. If you have prayed and sought the Lord in a consultation with your physician, you believe that taking the shot is going to be what's best for you, you are free in the Lord to take that shot. If after prayer and consultation with your physician, you believe not taking that shot is what's best for you, you are free in the Lord to not take that shot. Um, we believe that is a matter of conscience issue. Here's why I bring this up. Not because um, I feel the need to provide health advice, because I am not, right? Uh, that's not my wheelhouse at all. But this is a pastoral issue because it is a ploy of the enemy to divide Christians in any way he possibly can. And this is a big one. In Fayetteville, in our community, we have heard some pretty crazy, kooky things. Um, there's one church that's teaching that if you get the vaccine, you will lose your salvation. That's stupid. All right? We don't believe that. All right? It's not the mark of the beast. Okay? 
All right. Uh, Anthony Fauci is not the Antichrist. It's not what's happening here, okay? Um, on the flip side, though, we've heard people who are pro-shot who have said, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, you would do this because Jesus said to love your neighbor. That's how you love your neighbor. How can you love your neighbor and not do this? You're not really a Christian. We think that's stupid, too. This is a matter of conscience issue. As you seek the Lord and you talk with your physician, you do what you think is going to be best. But here's why I say all that and here's why that matters. I want to read for you Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, so he spends the first three chapters of Ephesians drilling down on who you are as a Christian. Who you are in Christ, who you are in Christ, who you are in Christ, who you are in Christ. Just, just fire hydrant right in the face. This is who you are as a follower of Jesus. Here's what it means to be a Christian. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, the Apostle Paul lays out, all right, now, you know who you are as a Christian, chapters 4, 5, and 6. Now, here's what that means and how you practically live that out. And I think it's very interesting. After three chapters of laying down, here's who you are as a Christian, here's who you are as a Christian, here's who you are as a Christian, the very first practical implication of what it means to be a Christian did not involve your money, did not involve your sex life, did not involve any of those things. The very first practical implication of what it meant to be a Christian was this. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The very first practical application in the book of Ephesians of being a Christian is that you'd be unified with the other Christians. That we would be one. In fact, in John chapter 17, Jesus is moments away from his betrayal and arrest and crucifixion, and he's praying one last time for Christians. And as you read John 17, what's so amazing about that is he's, as he's praying for us, the most important thing Jesus prays for is our unity. He says that we, he prayed that we would be one just like Jesus and the Father are one, and that as we are perfectly one, the world will see that and realize that Jesus really is who he said he is. The greatest evidence the greatest evangelistic tool in the world. Listen to me very carefully. The greatest evangelistic tool in the world is a unified church. The world looks at that. And all, especially today in 2021, August 22nd, 2021. The most important thing the world can do is look at a church and go, everyone else is crazy. Right? They are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. The world's going insane. Everyone's eating each other. But you guys seem to love each other, even though you really disagree on a lot of really important stuff. How is that? What in the world? How can you guys love one another when you so intensely disagree on some things? And the answer? Because Jesus Christ has changed us, and regardless of all this other stuff, 
He is really the most important thing in our lives. And so we agree on him. And so that makes us unified. This means everything. So for this shot, if you get it or you don't get it, do you love those who are brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to disagree with you about it? Do we love? Are we unifying? Are we making the most important thing, really the most important thing, Jesus? And this goes beyond this, not just for us here in America, but beyond that, when it talks about there in verse 3, that uh, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, are we actively, eagerly, and I love the way it's described in that verse 3, eagerly seeking to maintain the unity. You do not accidentally fall rear end first into unity. Unity is not what happens when you accidentally agree with someone. Unity must be eagerly, passionately pursued and maintained. Do we actively, eagerly pursue this? Especially when we disagree on some stuff. And then beyond that, I mean, think about Christians all around the world. Are we actively seeking to, in our spirits, be unified? Christians in Afghanistan right now. Brothers and sisters, we're going to spend some time here this morning lifting them up. That's how we eagerly seek to stay unified with people that we've never met and never will before we get to heaven. But they're in a radically different place than we are right now. We're getting stories of moms having to sit their children down and say, when they knock on the door, are you going to maintain your witness for Jesus? Seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old kids. It's a radically different deal than what we're talking about. How do we stay unified with those brothers and sisters? By praying for them. So uh, I'm going to ask that we'll just bow our heads for a minute. And I want us to pray. And again, there's so much going on here, right? I mean, we have stuff here in our own country, stuff that, again, we very intensely disagree on for a thousand different reasons, none of which have to necessarily be wrong. We're just at different places in life, different backgrounds, different rationale, different thought process. The Spirit of God can lead one Christian one way and one Christian another way on these issues, and it really be led of God, and it be okay. But can we love one another in that process? And can we stop thinking that what we got going on right now is, is on any level compared to what other brothers and sisters in Christ have going on right now? A lot of unity is realizing, you know what? That's what it really means to have your freedom taken away. Maybe not this. Even if I disagree with some of the things that are trying to be pushed, even if I think there may be an agenda underneath it, no one's grabbing my phone looking for a Bible app and then killing me if they find it. So maybe I'm doing okay. 
A lot of unity is realizing, man, I need to pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are in a whole different space than me right now. So let's take just a minute. Let's, let's do that together, okay? Just you right now. You just set that before the Lord personally. as I pray for your people here this morning, God. So many things, I think, for us to be lifting up. I've got to pray first as, as each of us individually are walking through and making some decisions as to what we're going to do for, for our personal medical decisions. For some in this room, God, they're having to make career decisions based off that. pray, God, that you would guide us and give us wisdom. I thank you that James 1 promises that if we ask uh, by faith, you will give wisdom and give it abundantly, give it liberally, give it overflowing. So I pray God, that's exactly what happens, that, you, that we trust you for wisdom, that you'll give us for wisdom, and that we'll walk in the wisdom that you give us, and that we'll not be double-minded, we'll not second-guess, but we'll, we'll ask for you to guide us, we'll trust you that you are, and we'll step forward in the direction that you lay out for us. But God, I pray for us as a body, God, that we would be one. We would be unified. That's going to start first by us shutting out the extreme voices that try to divide. I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom to discern the people in our lives or the people that we actually know or maybe people that we follow on social media or watch on TV who are actively seeking to divide, to jump up their ratings or their clicks or their likes or their follows or whatever reason that they have on both sides of arguments and debates. I pray, God, that you would give us discernment to notice that, realize that, and not fall victim to it. pray, God, that you would empower us, Lord, to love those within the body of Christ who may disagree with us on certain issues. We would love them. We would encourage them. We would bless them, pray for them, support them the best way that we can. I pray that we would make you, Jesus, and our love for you and our life in you the most important thing, that we would seek just to follow you and not let other things of this earth divide us. I pray, God, for a unity in us with those brothers and sisters around the world who are in a much different place than us. God, I pray that we would eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace by praying for them, by lifting them up. We pray, God, for them now, God, that you would protect them. We pray, God, right now that you would embolden them. We ask you, God, that you would, by your grace, give them wisdom as to how they're to navigate this and what exactly they're to do. 
As we walk through the book of Acts, we see times where the Apostle Paul is met with persecution and the direction that you have for him is to run away and hide. And I pray, God, that you'll give them wisdom and that's what you want them to do. And then there are other times where he's met with persecution and what you want him to do is stand up in the midst of it and say, yes, that is me. Do with me whatever you want. I will not deny Jesus. I pray, God, that you'll give them wisdom as to what you want them to do. I pray, God, for believers in Christ there that they'll be unified. Some will stand and some will flee. And I pray, God, that they won't be looking at one another with division. But they'll love one another, believing that you have led each in a different way, for a different time, for a different reason. God, burden us for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And I pray, God, that we would pray fervently and faithfully for them and I pray Lord your prayer over us that we would be perfectly one just like you and the Father Jesus and that as we walk in that unity that oneness that can only come miraculously from you as we do that the world will see that this gospel is real that you are God and that you change people pray, Lord, that you would do this for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You know, really jumping off the hills of that is perfect. I'm going to ask that you find uh, Acts chapter 19 with us, okay? Acts 19. So we're walking through the book of Acts, and as we begin our study in Acts, I said something to you, and I want to reiterate that again. So as we go through the book of Acts, Acts the history book. And how we study history matters, right? There are some people, scholars, study history so they can learn what they, uh, happened just to know what happened and, and teach what happened. But then there are others. Soldiers is uh, one of these where they study history not just to know what happened. They study history so that they're better prepared to pursue the next mission going forward. Does that make sense? And so they study history to see what happened so that they're better empowered and better prepared to win the next battle. And that's exactly how I want us to study the book of Acts. We don't study it just simply to learn what happened. We study it to see what happened, yes, but to teach us how we are to push forward the mission. And that's exactly what we're going to see in Acts chapter 19. In Acts 19, we're going to see Christians coming to the city of Ephesus. And we are going to see in one chapter, Acts 19... The city of Ephesus go from one of the greatest pagan worship centers in the history of the world to a city completely flipped upside down for Jesus in one chapter. And what we're going to do is we're going to study this, 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 this history lesson. We're going to study it not as a history lesson, but as God showing us. Here's how you live as people of God, seeing your world completely and totally flipped upside down for the glory of Jesus Christ. Your life, your family, your neighborhood, your work, your school, how do we see that radically impacted and changed for God's glory? That's what we're going to see in Ephesians, in, 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 in this city in Ephesus in Acts 19. So let's jump in together, all right? Here's our big idea for the day. It sets everything up for us. People who are changed by Jesus, committed to the word, and repenting of their sin, 
will see their world impacted by Christ. We oftentimes make things way too complicated, right? We make it way too complicated, and, and so we get frustrated. You ever been in a situation where you didn't quite understand what it is you were trying to do, so you just quit? It's exactly what Satan wants to do for us. He wants to make all of this seem so complicated. You look at your situation, your circumstance, what's going on, you go, it's too big, it's too much, there's too much happening, I can't fix this, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to quit. Jesus actually makes it simple, simple, simple. Here it is. People who are changed by Jesus, committed to God's word, and are repenting of their sin as God shows it to them. These are the people who see their lives, their families, and their communities radically changed and shifted for the glory of God. All right? So let's jump in. Let's see it in Acts 19 kind of in action. So pick it up in chapter 19, verse 1. The first big idea we're going to tackle is changed by Jesus. So Acts 19, verse 1. And it happened... That while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So this is our city, Ephesus. Paul shows up. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They must have been Baptist. Verse 3. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So here's the idea. Paul shows up in Ephesus, finds these 12 guys that says they're disciples. There's some debate as to whether or not these guys were Christians or not Christians yet. Some say they're, they're Christians, but Acts, there's, there's a lot of transition going on. The gospel's going out. Some people are getting bits and pieces, but not the whole thing yet. You see the Holy Spirit coming, but not everyone is aware of that. And so some people believe these guys in Ephesus are Christians, but they haven't gotten the full thing yet. The Spirit of God hasn't been delivered to them yet. And so Paul comes in and gives them the full measure. Others say, no, 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 no. These aren't Christians. These are kind of Old Testament believers. They know the Messiah is coming. They follow John, but they're not quite sure about Jesus yet. So Paul comes in, preaches the gospel to them, tells them about Jesus. They believe in Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. Whichever one it is, doesn't really matter. I believe personally these aren't Christians yet, but it doesn't matter yet. The big idea that I want you to see is this. These were men who at some point, we see in, 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 in Acts chapter 19, had a radical experience with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and it totally, completely changed them. Before they met Paul, they were good guys, doing good things, trying to obey the Ten Commandments, trying to figure out how to follow God. Paul shows up and says, Jesus Christ changes you. And I want you to notice verse 5. So 5, 6, and 7 are kind of the money verses for us. Let's see those real quick. Verse 5. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's chat about baptism for a second. We do baptism here. We did them last week. We'll do them again in about a month or so. Baptism is you go all the way under and all the way up. All right? And we do that for a reason. It's a picture. It's a symbol. It pictures two things. 
as you go all the way under the water and all the way back up, it's a picture one of Jesus. Jesus dying on the cross, being buried in the grave as you go under the water. And then as you come up out of the water, it's a picture of Jesus rising from the grave into new life. And it's a picture of you. As you have trusted by faith in Jesus, you are dying to your old life and being buried with Jesus in his baptism, and then you rise again to new life in Jesus and the new life that he's given you. It's a picture of Jesus Christ totally, completely, radically changing you. And then as a result of that, what you see happens, Paul lays his hands on them, verse 6, prays on them, they receive the Holy Spirit, they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, as you read through the book of Acts, as you read through the Bible, I don't think you can make a case that speaking in tongues and prophesying is something that has to happen for Christians when they get saved and receive the Spirit. What I do think you see is this, and here's where the rubber meets the road for us. Listen to me very carefully. Here's what happened. These men met Jesus, and then something happened to them. Are you tracking with this? They heard about Jesus. They said through baptism, I am dying to me, and I am rising again to life just in Jesus. I don't care about my former life. I died of all that. I just want Jesus, and that's it. When they said that, the Spirit of God filled them, and then something powerful happened. Are we tracking with that much? This, brothers and sisters, is problem number one. Have you legitimately, personally, been changed by Jesus? Have you experienced a changed life? Have you died to your old life, risen to new life in Jesus, and the Spirit of God come into you and change you? I talk to way too many Christians. I see too many Christians. I, spend, I pastor a church filled with a lot of people that show up on Sundays. And for many, I look, and they sound a lot like these guys in verses 1 through 4, not verses 5 through 7. They sound a lot like people, I mean, I'm just trying to go to church, trying to be a good person trying to get this thing right, trying to get right with the Lord. Well, 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 what about the Holy Spirit? How's the Holy Spirit changed you? Holy who? I'm sorry, what? I mean, how, how, have you been, how have you been changed? What's God done in your life? I, I, just, I just told you I come to church. The illustration that I've used for years, starting back in youth ministry. So my goal in preaching is this. I did youth ministry for a while before I became a pastor. Here's honestly my goal. My goal is to treat you all like 7th grade boys. Here's the, king, here's the thing with middle school ministry. All right, a couple of things. Number one, deodorant. All right, that's key. All right, push that hard. Number two, make it simple, right? And my thinking is this. If I can make it simple enough for a 7th grade boy, I don't say 7th grade girls because I got boys and girls. Girls get it much quicker. Boy, if I can make a 12-year-old boy get it, maybe the 45-year-old guy with a doctorate has a chance. So, here's the example I've been using for kids for 25 years. 
Imagine if I was late today for church. Right? So a little trick that I do, I'll let you know something. So we have a countdown timer that goes. Sometimes when it gets down the line like a minute, I'll hide in the corner and look for Pastor Scott and watch him freak out when he can't find me. Like, I'll do that. I'll go hide in the corner and go, just watch him. He's doing this. I see him texting me. You're in, the, you're in the room? You're in the room? So, but imagine I'm really late, right? I'm legitimately late. You guys crank up. I'm running in the last minute. I come up here and go, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. Whew, I'm sorry I'm late. I apologize, guys. You're not going to believe this. I was walking out of my house to come here, and a 747 fell out of the sky onto my head. Can you believe it? <laughs> it took me a couple minutes to climb out, right, and get here, but whew, I'm here now. Let's go. You'd say a couple of things. You'd say, number one, so if a 747 fell out of the sky onto your head, I kind of think you'd look different, right? Mainly flat, right? How is it that you can have a 747 fall from 35,000 feet in the air onto your head, but you look exactly the same as you did before? And then here's going to be my question to you. What's bigger than a 747? God. So track with this. You ready? You mean to tell me you're going to sit in here and tell me that the God of the universe crashed into your life through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, filling you with his spirit. The God who made the universe now lives in you, a radical, radical explosion of God himself coming into your life. But you walking around here like nothing's different. You sound like someone who would say, sorry I'm running late, a plane just fell on my head. Have you truly, legitimately been changed by Jesus? These men, in verses 1 through 4, good guys, trying their best. I mean, they go to church. They obey the rules. They know there's something to this God thing. Right? They're, not, they're not atheists. They're not believing some crazy religion. But they never actually met and were changed by Jesus until verse 5 hit, and then boom, it was on. And so my question for you in this room right now, have you had your first five moment yet? Have you met Jesus and been truly, legitimately changed by the answer to that is no, or I'm not sure, or oh, you're making me nervous. That's going to be step one. We're going we're gonna to need to make sure that's right first. Uh, but then you see what keeps going next. So they meet Jesus. They're changed by Jesus. And the second thing that happens is this. They are fully and totally committed to God's word. Right? They are all in. So Paul takes these 12 guys, and he's like, well, Let's take these 12 guys and go change the world. Let's hit it. So he does. Verse 8. And he entered the synagogue 
and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the, ha- in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. All right, real quick, let me unpack this. So, Paul takes these 12 guys, they go into the synagogue, he's preaching and teaching. After a little while, the religious leaders get really upset, they start trashing Paul and trashing the Christians, and and so Paul's like, fine, I'm out of here. So he leaves, and he goes to this place called the Hall of Tyrannus. Apparently, this is just like the community center that you could rent out. I don't know. So he goes to the Hall of Tyrannus. And he says that he starts teaching there. And he does it every day, so minus the Sabbath, that's six days. Some translations say that he did it from the fifth hour to the tenth hour, which is from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. for two years. So track with this, you ready? He taught the Christians there in Ephesus five hours a day, six days a week for two years. That comes to a little over 3,100 hours of Bible teaching in two years. If all you do for your Bible intake is come sit in here when I say, hey, if you have a Bible, open to blank, and you listen for a little while, and then you leave. If that's all you do as far as Bible intake, you get, as far as Bible teaching, in a year, 30 hours-ish, what they got in one week. If all you do is come to church on Sunday morning, and that's the only Bible intake, it will take you over 100 years to get the amount of Bible teaching they received in two years. And what happened as a result? As they had God's word poured into them and poured into them and poured into them and poured into them. Their lives were changed. Their families were changed. Their community was changed. And what we're going to see in a little bit is this. The entire city gets flipped upside down. This is why we tell you over and over and over and over and over why we try to lead you and shepherd you and equip you and encourage you to be in God's word. We don't say that simply because that's just something that Christians should do. We say this because God's word is the vehicle in which he has created to pour life into you. So I'll give you a few verses to kind of back this up scripturally. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. John 6, 63, Jesus says, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. James 1, 21, Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The point is this. God's word is not just something that you should read when you get around to it. Oh yeah, this is literally, this is how God has created the opportunity to pour life into you. If you neglect this, you literally neglect life. Is there any wonder why we feel so dry? Is there any wonder why we feel so empty? Is there any wonder why we struggle with our walks with the Lord? So about five or six years ago, an organization did a massive, a a Christian research organization did a massive study of about 500,000 Christians, about half a million Christians all over the world, 
the United States, all over the world, trying to find out what, what, what happens, what causes people to really grow in their faith. Like, what causes one Christian to be this and another Christian to be this? Like, what does that all look like? So they studied half a million Christians all over the, all over the world. Different countries, genders, nationalities, socioeconomic backgrounds, people from different kinds of churches, people who have been a Christian a short time, people who have been a Christian a long time, people who are poor, people who are rich, people who are well-educated, people who are, who are almost illiterate. Did this massive study of all these Christians all over the world. And as they looked at all this just Mount Everest of data, and they began to kind of cycle through it and cipher through it and cipher through it and cipher through it, they eventually discovered what they called the power of four. And what they said was this. All over the world, regardless of what denomination you're a part of, regardless how long you've been a Christian, regardless if you're in a free country or a restricted country, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, well-educated, low-educated, rich, whatever, if you as a Christian spend at least four days a week engaged in the Scriptures, it significantly transforms your life. It radically changes everything. What they found was Christians that spend at least four days a week engaged with the Scriptures, they are 400% more likely to actually apply the Bible to their lives. They are 200% more likely to share their faith with someone else. They're 100% more likely to not look at pornography. They're 30% more likely to not struggle with loneliness. They also discovered that people that spend at least four days a week in the scriptures, they're infinitely more likely to not engage in all kinds of other destructive and difficult things, such as um, uh, uh, abusing alcohol or prescription pills. You're significantly less likely to do that if you're engaging the scriptures at least four days a week gambling and losing all your money from that. Significantly less likely to do that if you engage the scriptures at least four days a week. Engaging in sexual uh, 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 immorality outside of marriage. Significantly less likely to do that if you engage with the scriptures at least four days a week. It, there was a shift that happened because, not that the magic number is four, right? Not that you'd be like, okay, so Sunday, all right, so I need three more days besides Sunday, and then it hit four, and then boom, everything. No, the point is this. These are people who sought life from God's word. And you know what happened? Track with this. God did what he said he was going to do. Right? They trusted God to do from his word what he said he would do, and then they banked it on that. And you know what happened? God did it. Right? And so these are people who are actively seeking to engage the scriptures. Is that you? So let's get super practical with this. You ready? One, commit to be engaged on Sunday mornings sitting in here. Pre-COVID, the average church member attended two and a half Sundays a month, which isn't awesome. Since COVID, those who have come back, we average between one to one and a half times a month. What we discovered from COVID is this. Whatever you were pre-COVID, COVID just put it on steroids. If pre-COVID you came to church when it worked for you, it seems to not work a lot now. Now, I know I'm probably talking to the camera. It seems to not fit into the schedule a lot more often now. 
things seem to get super busy, super fast for you now. But the truth is, you were already that pre-COVID. Now we just cranked it to 11 and ripped the knob off. Commit. Commit to being in here with God's people, studying the Bible together as a group. Commit to do that. That's one way that you know you're going to consistently be having God's word poured into your heart. Second is this. Commit to a journey group. There's small group structure here. Find a group and get plugged in. That's going to be another time that you know you're going to be sitting in a room with other Christians, Bibles open in your lap, talking about God's word and how it impacts your life. That is an easy, ready-made, here you go. Right? I mean, I feel like Jerry Maguire up here. Help me help you. Right? I'm trying. For, if you're under 30, Google it. It was a movie in the 90s. Anyway. <laughs> help me help you. Like, 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 we just provide things for you. Take advantage of them. Like, we want to help you. And there are tons of other things. The YouVersion app. You can download that on your phone. YouVersion app has thousands of reading plans. Literally thousands of reading plans. There are other apps that I personally use. There's one called the Streetlights app where it takes scripture and puts it to, to like hip-hop music and I listen to that while I'm running. And it just goes through the scripture. I mean, it's just listening to the scripture. If that's not your deal, there's an app called Dwell which uses kind of more contemplative music. Right? A little, little calmer. You can do that. Just opportunities, ways for for you to have God's word impact your life. Ways for you to engage with the scriptures. The more often you engage with the scriptures, the more often you set up opportunities for God to pour life into your heart and things to change. God is the one that has to do the work. But listen, I, how many of you have have you ever known a farmer, like a legit farmer, not like I plant tomatoes in my backyard, but like a legit, generationally, this is what we would do with our lives, farmer, right? Anybody? So I've got some farmers in my family or in my, in my life, some friends that we have that are farmers. I've never in my life met a lazy farmer, right? I mean, they are up before the sun, and they work well after the sun goes down. They work hard. They are constantly, constantly, constantly doing everything they can to make crops grow. But at the end of the day, listen, they can't make it rain and they can't make a seed germinate, right? At some point, God just has to do the work. God has to do what God does to bring the crop. However, they don't just sit on the couch and just go, well, you know, I mean, I can't do anything unless God makes it rain. So I'm going to sit here and just see what happens. They work and then they trust God to do his part. Be a good farmer. God, Jesus described the word of God, the gospel, as seed being planted into the soil of your heart. Be a good farmer. Look for every opportunity to plant as many seeds as possible. And then, yes, God has to be the one to bring us the growth. God has to be the one to do that. We, don't, we can't force or manipulate that. God has to do it. But you can't stand there not throwing any seed on the ground and then wondering, well, I wonder why nothing grew. I got an idea. Because you're standing there with all your seeds in your hand. You have to plant them. Allow God's word to be planted into your heart so that he can bring produce from it. So that he can bear 
fruit. They were committed to God's word. Third is this. Third, these were people who were serious about confession and repentance of sin. So now, real quick, we get into a crazy story. And I love it. Ever so often, God just throws in a crazy story in the Bible. Like, there are a few that I just love, right? Like, there's one where, like, um, uh, a prophet in the Old Testament is getting picked on by some kids because he's bald. He doesn't like that. So he calls a curse on them, and God brings a bear and destroys all the kids and eats all the kids. I love it. Like, if you're a bald guy, that's a, that's a life verse for you, right? You're like, I love that verse. Every so often, there's a, there's a story in the Bible where you just go, huh, here's one. You ready? Verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had been touched, that had touched his skin, were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. They were grabbing his old napkin from the trash can at Bojangles, taking it to people, and they were getting healed when they wiped their nose with it. That's not actually in the text, but that's just kind of, you know, that's what's happening. Just unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. All right, so you got a group of guys. We're about to meet one here. They're running around. They see Paul doing this. Like, so Paul says Jesus. Spirits come popping out. There must be something magical about this Jesus thing. So they run around going, hey, said Jesus who Paul keeps talking about? He's making you do, you need, to, you need to stop because Jesus that Paul was talking about. So we meet some guys who are doing this. Verse 14. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But, I love this, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Raro. Right? This isn't good. Right? The demons are like, well, Jesus I know, obviously he, you know, made me. Um, Paul, we've been chatting, like, how does that, how do they know about Paul? Like, is there, are they on a texting thread? Like, is there an email that goes out? How do all the demons know about this? I don't know what the communication strategy is. But they're like, oh, Paul, I've heard of Paul. What's your name again? So here's what they did. Oh, verse 16. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I feel like that's a little bit redundant, saying that they're naked and wounded. If you get beat so bad that the clothes are getting beat off of you, I'm going to assume you're wounded, right? Like, not just physically, but that's a soul wound, right? You're going to... Your inner child is going to feel that one for years. They got the clothes beat off of them. But then look what happens as a result. Verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Listen to this in verse 17. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. That means praised. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging. The word confessing means to proclaim joyfully. The word divulging means to openly, something that's hidden, right? To openly declare. Confessing and divulging their practices and their books together 
and burned them in, oh, they're practicing, excuse me, verse 19. And the number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to come to 50,000 pieces of silver, which would be the equivalent of about $10 million today. So that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Real quick, you ready for this? These aren't non-Christians who are getting saved. These are Christians, track with this, who have secret sin in their life that they haven't been telling anyone about. These are Christians still holding on to junk from the old life. These are Christians who, even though they were baptized into Christ Jesus and rose again to new life, still tried to hang on to a little bit of that back then. They were still living the old life. Now, they called themselves Christians, but in practice, they were still living like the lost people. And I want you to notice a couple of quick things. Number one, why did they repent? They repented because, in verse 17, Jesus was being praised. Jesus was being praised and lifted up and extolled. That is what drove them to repentance. When they saw the glory and power and majesty of Jesus, to where demons were professing the glory of Jesus, they realized Jesus is so great and so amazing and so glorious. All this other stuff is worthless. I don't want it anymore. What led them to repent was not feeling bad about what they did. What led them to repent was realizing how glorious and amazing and better Jesus is than that junk. Are we tracking with that? What leads you to repent is not realizing what you're doing is bad. We do a thousand things we know are bad for us. Right? I mean, we've done this over and over and over again. Just because you know something is bad for you doesn't mean you stop doing it. We know this processed, artificial, made-in-the-lab food that we eat is going to kill us. Right? That is well established. You're still going to leave here, swing by that Hardee's, grab you a giant 14-pound hamburger with a Diet Coke. Right? Just to even it out a little bit. You know it's going to kill you, but you still eat it. I mean... Just because something is bad doesn't mean we stop doing it. They knew these things were bad. They knew they shouldn't do it. That's why they were hiding it. They knew it was wrong. That's why they were hiding it. But knowing it was wrong was never enough for them to walk away from it. What led them to walk away from it was when they realized how great Jesus was. My favorite parable of Jesus is Matthew 13, 44. It's one verse. Love it. It's a man walking through a field, finds a treasure, wants that treasure, but isn't on the field. So he buries the treasure in a field, goes and sells all that he has, and uses that money to buy the field, then goes and unburies the treasure and goes, oh, look, I'm rich. Now he's a total skis, all right? That's not, like, Jesus was not giving, you know, real estate advice. But the story is teaching this. 
When you realize how glorious and amazing and worthy and treasure-filled Jesus is, you gladly sell everything else so you can get him. The stuff that used to hold you, just like the, the hymn we used to sing growing up, the things of this world grow faintly dim in the eyes of his glory you see how amazing Jesus is? The stuff of this world doesn't hold the sway it used to. What led them to repent was not realizing what they're doing was bad. What led them to repent was realizing how great Jesus is. And I just want him. I don't want this junk anymore. So they burned it all. What in your life do you need to burn today? set a bonfire, burn it. Not because you know it's bad and your face going to, someone's going to find out and you make sure you clear out your, your history on your phone before your wife walks in and picks it up. That's just for free. But you burn it today because you know Jesus is better than all of that. I don't want any of that. I want Jesus. So I gladly burn all this other junk. And as our band comes up, I want you to see what happens as a result. Verse 21, all heck breaks loose. Now after these events, Paul resolved in his spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia. And he's going to kind of go through all that, but pick it up in verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. <laughs> That's an understatement. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made the silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. So Artemis was a god, a goddess, um, and her temple was set up there in Ephesus. And in fact, the temple in Ephesus was considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was amazing, and now it's a big tourist attraction. And people are making a lot of money off of this, right? It is it's first century Disney World. Everybody's making a ton of money off of this thing. But all these Christians are getting saved, burning all of their stuff. They don't want it anymore, and the business is going bad. Verse 25, these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away great many people, saying that gods made with hands aren't really gods. That should seem obvious, but anyway. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And then craziness ensues. Thousands of people rush into a stadium, praising Artemis for a couple of hours. Paul tries to go in there to reason with them. And again, wisdom steps in and some of his buddies grab him and go, dude, not, you're going to die for Jesus, just not today. right? Let's, let's, let's don't do that. The entire city is going nuts. And it's all because of this. Twelve dudes were radically changed by Jesus. 
And then they led a whole bunch of other people to be committed to God's word. And as they were committed to God's word, they began to see how glorious and amazing Jesus is. So they turned from all their other sin to just worship and glorify Jesus. And it flipped the city on its head. People changed by Jesus, committed to God's word, confessing and repenting of their sin. See, their world, their lives, their families, their neighborhoods, their jobs, their schools, impacted by Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. We're going to stand here in a minute. We're going to sing. And as we do that, I just have some, I want to encourage you to kind of just personally, just kind of walk through this in your heart. One, have you been changed by Jesus? Truly, legitimately changed by Jesus? If not today, let that be that day. Say, Jesus Christ, I have not been changed by you, but today I want to be. I give you my life. I die to myself. I rise to new life in you. Jesus Christ, change me. Fill me and empower me with your spirit. I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you, Jesus. Change me today. My life is yours. As a Christian, are you committed to the word of God? Are you committed to letting this be the way that God pours life into your thirsty soul? As you see Jesus lifted up and glorified and made much of. Is there sin today that you need to confess, repent, pull back the curtain and like it says there in the scriptures, they confessed and divulged. They joyfully said, yes, I agree with you, God. This is sin. I open it up. I say, yes, God, this is what I'm doing. I turn from it. I burn it. I don't want it anymore. As we sing, this altar, of course, is open. You can come forward and you can pray. I can pray with you. We have others that can pray with you. My wife can pray with you, ladies. We'd love to encourage you in the Lord. But I want to encourage you today. Let's today be a day where you at least are setting your heart before the Lord and saying, Lord Jesus, I want to be a man. I want to be a woman who's changed by you, committed to your word, Confessing and repenting whatever sins that you showed me that are in my heart and seeing you forever change and impact my life. Jesus, do this in us for your glory. Thank you, God. Do this in us for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together. This altar is open, church. If you need to pray, if you need to celebrate, let's sing.
sing amen. God, when you turn your face to us, and you forgive us, you redeem us, you make us new, we thank you, Jesus, for that. I ask you, God, for your people here today, that you continue to speak to our hearts, you continue to draw us in, to be changed and renewed and made new by you, Jesus, burning all that does not bring you glory and honor. Thank you, Lord. We ask that you'll do this in us. We trust that you will. Thank you for the word that you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quick, guys, before you leave, one more quick announcement. This coming Tuesday evening at 6.30, we're going to have a memorial service for Doug Heckler. Doug, a part of our church, died a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're going to have a service Tuesday evening, 6.30 in here. If you knew Doug, a friend of Doug, we encourage you to be here for that. All right. Love you guys. Have a great week.